This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to Talksplode from iFanboy.com. I am Josh Flanagan. Today we are talking to Joe Kelly, writer of many comics, including I Kill Giants, Four Eyes, Bang Tango, Bad Dog, the recently released Douglas Fredericks and the House of They, as well as a run on Amazing Spider-Man. We're going to talk to Joe about his whole career, all the books he's got coming out, his work with Man of Action, and plenty of stuff in between. We are here with Joe Kelly. I am Josh Flanagan from MyFanboy.com. I'm here with Paul Montgomery. Hello. And uh, how you doing, Joe? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Very good. You know, uh, it's it's funny because I've been wanting to do a sort of longer interview with you for a while because you've had you've had just so many things coming out recently that that have really struck a chord with people. Do do you seem like do do you feel like um, I, I don't want to put this the wrong way, but do you feel like there's a bit of a resurgence going on in comics with you? Um. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I for a while I was focused a lot on um, on animation mm-hmm. and writing a lot of scripts and <clears throat> excuse me, story editing uh, a couple of shows. So for a while I'd kind of you know just by necessity kind of pull back from comics. So during that time though, I was always pecking at these other projects. And what's kind of funny is that they, these things were not written remotely near one another, but they all came out at the same time. So it's been, it really was this accidental wave of like, here's a ton of new stuff for me. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was just more necessity than anything else because I was pecking on these things on the side while I was doing the other stuff. And so you've, you've fooled us all, basically. Yes, exactly. It looks like uh, I wrote 10 books in, in two months, but really <laughs> it's been like a side project for years. Well, do, I mean, does that does that create... I mean, are you, like, do you, are you working on stuff coming out, or do you feel like it's it's like going to create a vacuum going forward? Or are you feeling like you're under pressure to to bring I, a bunch I, more stuff? Yeah, I definitely feel the pressure, but the, it's good pressure. And mm-hmm. um, the nice part about it is that the uh, you know Bad Dog and Four Eyes are both you know ongoing, even though they come out 
sporadically, which I have all sorts of apologies about for that. But, uh, you know, Giants is its own thing, Douglas is its own thing, and, and Bang Tango is about to wrap up. And then, of course, there's Spider-Man. So I feel like there's plenty of stuff to kind of keep us afloat while the next things are being worked on, which, uh, which are actually being worked on, which is cool. Well, let's uh, let's let's go back to the beginning, um, and and I just wanted to ask about I guess some of the early bits in your career. Um, if, from what I can see, you started sort of in the same way, uh, similar to Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, I guess you were in a, a workshop or a class or something like that. Can can you explain that? Sure. Yeah, it was um, I, it, it was nicknamed the Stanhattan Project, but the um, couple of editors from Marvel um, at the time, Mark Powers and James Felder. They were looking for new talent, so they contacted uh, NYU's Department of Dramatic Writing, where I happen to be a graduate assistant. And the um, the letter was sort of sitting on the head of the department's desk, and her secretary suggested that I, you know, take a look at it because it was about comics, and there was an excellent chance it was just going to end up uh, in the circular file. So I basically, I stole it mm-hmm. and um, read it and said, "Hey, you know what? I'd like to volunteer for that Marvel thing." And um, that was sort of it. The, the guys came in and we, we did a, about a 10 or 12 week course and they took us through dialogue all the way back up to series construction. And through the course of that, they liked what I was doing. So that's how I got my work. And I was the first year, which I guess was 96. And then Brian was the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven came out of the same program. And then that class has actually evolved. Um, even though I don't think they did it after I graduated, but, um, I actually teach that class now as an official class at NYU in the summers, although the last two summers have been um, Eddie Berganza's doing it right now from mm-hmm. D.C. and uh, Will Dennis did it uh, last summer. Who, do you, wow. I, I, who, do you know anybody else who's working who's come out of those classes? Um, no, not yet. Uh, some of the guys who I've, you know, I teach uh, that comics class and um, writing for animation, and mm-hmm. a couple of my animation guys have gotten some work, but um, I don't know off the top of my head of any other comic guys who have gotten work yet. Oh, interesting. Um, so when you were, uh, I guess, in when you were in school, like, had you been interested? I mean, what were you in school for? Had you wanted to write comics before that? I was actually in for screenwriting uh, was my focus. And um, it, it was a really, you know, happy, glorious uh, accident that I was in the right place and the right time for this comics thing. Because I like comics fine. I was definitely a fan, and I was collecting at the time. Um, mostly Vertigo stuff, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I was. That's what I was reading. So to have a chance to do it, it wasn't what I had planned on doing, but it was writing, and it was directly applicable to what I was doing. I mean, that that program is dramatic writing, so it's not prose, it's not poetry, it's not any of that stuff. It's it's writing scripts mm-hmm. and um, you know writing visually, which is what we were taught. You know, in screenwriting is obviously directly applicable to uh, comics. So it was really perfect timing and a and a happy place to be. It's interesting because, I mean, did you feel it at all at any point? Because you, you basically started writing comics from almost that point on. I mean, did you feel like you derailed your screenwriting career or were you just like, oh, this is good, I'll go with this? You know, I don't know. It's funny. Uh, you look back at, like, the roads you could have traveled and that sort of thing, and there were definitely opportunities that I, I don't know, I didn't really get that deep into because I was busy doing comics, but, uh, I, A, I was having a great time. Um, so much stuff happened sort of at the same time. Like, I graduated, I got married, and... Uh, and was working on the X-Men, like, literally within a month of each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I really had no complaints. I mean, of the people I graduated with, you know, maybe a handful of us were actually being paid to write. Mm-hmm. It's such a, you know, it's such a long haul, such a competitive business um, anyway. So I was, I was really just happy to be doing it. But, you know, I've never, I've never really 
regretted it. I mean, there are times where I go like, oh, yeah, maybe I could have done certain things earlier. But honestly, those things are happening now. And I, you know, sort of in a roundabout way, did get involved in screenwriting and animation through comics. So it all, it all worked out. Did you, uh, did you have to, I mean, a lot of people, you know, breaking into comics is, is sort of a, a long and difficult process for a lot of people, but it sounded like it kind of just dropped in your lap and you, you went with it. I mean, did, did you, did you have more of a dues paying process? Do you think that we don't know about or? I I was really, really lucky. It's like embarrassingly lucky. And (laughs) when I, when I talk to people who are trying to get into the industry and I sort of tell them, you know, what, what I'm sort of told, by editors, you know, and every couple of years they, they sort of have a different version of like, oh, pitch me, don't pitch me, give it to me in writing, tell me verbally, you know, whatever. And when I tell them, they're like, oh, is that what you did? And I always have to shake my head and be like, you know, um, I, I went a different route. And uh, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, the, you know, the dues paying process, you pay dues in other ways. Sure. Kind of once you're, once you're in the door uh, and you start to develop your own voice and you actually want to tell stories, not just sort of regurgitate, you know, stuff that that's come before or that's being handed to you. That that's where your dues paying really comes in. You know, once you want to kind of, uh, uh, plant your flag, that's when you really got to pay dues. So, you know, there's, I I was lucky to get in the way I did, but there, there was a different kind of process once you're in the door. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's, I guess that much different now. I mean, because it, it, now it seems like there's a lot of guys and they, they come up through doing indie stuff. It's it's very rare for the most part for guys to just pop into Marvel or DC without having done much comics or, or anything before that. Um, I mean, have you have you, do you see that kind of change going on in the industry from when you started? Uh, yeah, I mean, the only um, there aren't that many projects that they can take a chance on a new writer with. Although mm-hmm. I, I there might be a trend starting to go back to that. I mean, like. DC starting to do a lot more holiday specials where there are short story uh, opportunities for new writers and for people to get tried out. But yeah, for the most part, I think what we're seeing is a lot of folks who have uh, experience in other media certainly getting a crack, and then and then guys who've really proven themselves on on the indie front and are good self promoters, which is you know like ninety nine percent of the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting that editor's attention and really getting them to to take you seriously. And that's tough because so many of us are introverts. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, we just want to do our thing and like put out our cool comics and hope that, you know, everybody loves us. But if we I, don't stand up and yell a little bit. Yeah. I think yeah. that we all just related to each other just there. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> it's true, man. I tell you, it's uh, I, I don't know if I was ever like a mega shy guy, but I was I, certainly quiet in my way. And then, uh, I was sort of forced really early on to start to open my mouth because of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time you go to a Marvel retreat and people are like, so what do you want to do on the X-Men? And you're like, 30 heads turn at you. You've got to learn very quickly. You better open your mouth and, <laughs> and speak up. Uh, and, and speaking on panels in front of people, you know, th- those things taught me to, um, to open my mouth and, you know, also taught me I had something to say, which is, is comforting too, but uh, obviously a lot of people don't get that opportunity, and it's it's tough. I mean, that's probably the advice I give to young writers almost more than anything else, because you assume that they can write or that they're working really hard at their craft. But teaching them to sell themselves and you know be comfortable speaking to people that's that's mm-hmm. a challenge for a lot of guys. So you're suggesting that, a, like, say, a podcaster uh, would be a good mm-hmm. route. I think that that's a fine route. Yeah. Used to speak <laughs> this is a good thing. You know, not afraid. 
<laughs> yeah, no, just terrified. As long as you don't, you don't show it. Um, I, so how old were you when you got your your first when you were? I guess Deadpool was your first regular series. So how old were you then? Uh, God, how old was I? I guess um, I guess it was about. I'm trying to think that. I mean, I I was working at Marvel for a, a couple of months. I guess when Deadpool <laughs> came along, I started in '96 off and on. So we'll say it was '97. Um, so I guess that I was 26. Okay. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, talking about the way that the industry now as opposed to then, like, you kind of had to learn on the job. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, when you look back at the stuff that you did back then, do you do you recoil? Do you like some of it? Do you ever look at it? Yeah, you know, it's fine. as a general rule, I don't, I don't tend to look back at stuff. Um, which is uh, kind of another version of the being shy. You know, it's like, uh, it's almost, it's too real. Now I have to look at it and be like, oh my God, it was so bad. But um, I, I never, I've never looked back. It's something I've actually had to cultivate over the last couple of years, you know, especially like working in animation where you really got to see how the show came out. You know, you can't, you can't like write the script and just assume it was glorious, you know, because it was written down on the paper. You need to see like what people did and didn't do and that sort of thing. Uh, with comics, because you're there with, almost every step of the process is almost like tough to look at that final printed book for me because, you know, I've seen it five times already, but, um, but I don't know, look at I mean, occasionally I look back at something. Um, I was actually just rereading that action Seven Seventy Five, and, uh, I have, I, have, I have a question about that. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, and I was shocked kind of like how much, how much more action there was in my mind than actually on the page, which mm-hmm. kind of cracked me up. But, um, no, it's good. You know, I, I more gauge it by fans. You know, people people come up to me and tell me that they liked a certain book or they just discovered, like, my Deadpool and that sort of thing. So a lot of it holds up over time, which makes me really happy and proud. But, um, yeah, you evolve, and you know, as a writer, uh, no doubt. You learn new tricks. You forget tricks, you know. Or <clears throat> I tend to get obsessed with themes for a while um, that become really, you know, apparent in the work and, or things that I was just kind of like muddling my way through in my head. So it, it's cool to look back and sort of see those things play out. But I can't honestly say I, I do it very often. <laughs> Speaking, I guess, of, of sort of the Deadpool and, and stuff like that. So that was, that was your first series. Was that a character who you, you know, knew anything about or did you want that? Or was it handed to you and you had to like get to know Deadpool? Uh, well, again, you know, in the sort of kooky way that my career went, um, you know, I, was, I was doing a couple of little things like what ifs and um, – Marvel Presents and that sort of thing, and uh, I was actually starting on Daredevil because uh, Carl Carl was finishing up his run, and you know they were looking to kill some time, I think, before Kevin Smith came in a little bit later. But uh, and then uh, Matt Idelson asked me about Deadpool. We had done some what ifs together, and he's like, you know, they're talking to me about this book. It's this weird character. Like, I don't know if it's going to last, and uh, you know, why not take a pitch for it? I want to try some new blood, so I did, and. And, and somehow managed to get it. Like, I still don't entirely understand the process, but the pitch was insane. Like, we were talking about having Deadpool fight Obnoxio the Clown and Ego the Living Planet. It, it was really, like, a bizarre pitch. And uh, at the time, the Heroes Were Born universe was going on. And so, like, the major through line of the whole first year was that he had that blue ball and didn't know what was in it and didn't understand why people kept trying to kill him. Like, he had the entire Marvel Universe in his hand. Um and, uh, of course, that, none of that went through. But what was great was that, you know, once, once they said, hey, you got some cool ideas, you know, take a shot at it, really, in the beginning, nobody cared about the book. They, they figured it was just going to get canceled, so 
they let us do whatever we wanted. And it was like the ideal scenario for me because Matt and I could just goof around and I could throw all sorts of kooky ideas at him and we could sneak in our dirty jokes and, <laughs> and do all that stuff because it really didn't matter. And then uh, lo and behold, the book refused to die, which was uh, fantastic. Um, and it's funny because Deadpool, I guess, I'm, I'm guess really from that point on, is turned into one of those characters that, I mean, some people don't like him, but other people are, you know, they're rabid fans of that character. What, what do you think it is about about him? Oh, he's great. I mean, you know, certainly the, the comedy goes a long way. I mean, anytime you've got a funny hero. And then the fact that he's an anti-hero and he's so messed up, you know, he feels a lot of, like, really relatable stuff, like, you know, we're not going out shooting guys in the face, but we'd all like to. And uh, at least at Deadpool, you know, when, when I was working on him, he was always struggling between doing the right thing, but invariably screwing up. Like, he was just so dark and so twisted and knew it that despite his best efforts, he would always, like, make the wrong choice, you know. And I think a lot of us feel that way. Uh, and then you hide it with the humor and, you know, try to get by and have his twisted little friends. You know, there's, a, I think, a lot to see um, from your own life in that character. And then uh, even just down to the physicality of it, I mean, so many of us, like, you know, we don't feel so pretty. And there's Deadpool, you know, with his, uh, only feels like his face is on when he's wearing his mask and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's just, there's a lot to relate to. And, um, and again, he was, he really was a cipher. Like, he was a pretty open character, so we were able to, um, you know, carve out a whole history for him, and uh, fans saw that evolve. You know, like, so many superheroes we come to now, and we just sort of take it for granted. Like, we already know Spidey's history. We already know Superman's origin. Like, this is somebody you could sort of watch and discover as you're going along. I, I think that carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I guess you ended up on X-Men. You were on X-Men, and Steve Ziegel was on Uncanny. Is that right? And then, um, and then you guys walked away from it, which yeah. seems to me like a pretty ballsy move to do at that point. Um, yeah. what, I mean, what was that like for you guys? I mean, I mean, were you like terrified to do it, or you just, you know, this is the right, this is what we've got to go? Yeah, I, I was totally terrified. Um, but you know, it, it, it. I don't want to make it sound bigger than it was because really, it was not that that huge a deal. But it was the kind of moment that, for Steve and and, uh, and I both kind of defined how we were going to look at our own careers because, you know, we, we thought we were doing a pretty good job on X-Men. People seemed to, to like it. Um, you know, editorial kind of came in a couple of times and asked us to change stories. And, you know, we would, we would put up a fight. I mean, we would fight for the ideas that we really liked. And it came to a point where they asked us, you know, they said, hey, listen, you know, we don't really want to argue about the, the next big event that's going to happen, so we're going to tell you the story and you guys just execute it. And that's a totally legit way to write stories. I mean, we've always, we've always said that. I mean, that's how a lot of TV works, right? There's some, like the head showrunner, and they tell you what's going on, and then you, you work out your part. But it wasn't what we signed on for. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we felt like we had, to, we had to leave. And because of, you know, being on that high-profile book and stuff, we just felt like that would mean also sort of leaving the contract, too, because um, at the time it was ex- exclusive, because it just seemed to sort of fit, you know, like it's kind of hard to walk away from the, the flagship book and then be like, and now I'll do that other book over there mm-hmm. kind of deal. So, but, I mean, was that the, that was the, the Bob Harris regime as opposed to Casada, right? Or is that, was yeah. that before? Yeah. So, yeah. but you still didn't really do much work at Marvel for a while. 
No, I mean, that was, you know, that was it. I mean, I left the contract and, you know, actually I, I quit two months before my daughter was born. Uh, and it was, you know, it was one of those conversations at home where it was like, all right, look, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. And uh, thank God my wife's the kind of person who's like, look, you, you know, you got to be happy and you got to believe in what you're doing. And I'm, I'm okay with that. And, uh, and luckily, you know, it worked out pretty well. Um, cause shortly after that, uh, I was contacted by, uh, Eddie. Began to work on Superman, and um, and and Jeff Loeb also, uh, who was you know who called me up first. But uh, Eddie actually really liked uh, Uncanny X Men mm-hmm. and wanted to hire Steve, but he got us confused. So <laughs> he he hired me kind of on the strength of Steve's work. I found that out many months later. <laughs> That's that's funny because when we were in uh, at WonderCon, Joe Casey kept getting congratulated for I Kill Giants. So. <laughs> <laughs> that bastard. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Uh, Casey and I have been uh, linked together uh, on each other's projects really pretty much since the day I started writing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it worked out good. And then, you know, once things started going well at D.C., uh, I, you know, I was super busy and, and then dove into a contract pretty quick. Cool. So. Uh, and, and I guess the, the Superman or Action 775, which you sort of mentioned earlier, um, that's totally like, I had never read Superman regularly. I still don't, but like to this day, that's like one of my favorite Superman issues I've ever read. Uh, um, like when you look back on it now, do you, I mean, you were ju- you were talking about looking at it and seeing that there's not actually a lot of action in it, but when you were doing it, did you feel like, Hey, I'm doing a really good book here. Or, I mean, did you know? Cause it, like, it, it's like a big, you can still say action 775 because, Oh, that one, you know? <laughs> no, you know, it, it happened really quickly, you know, in putting it together. I mean, it was, it was sort of like, all right, we need to do a, um, an anniversary, and how about you and Doug? And what? And I, you know, I kept saying Eddie, like I don't really know what I want to do. And then once in a while, like I mean, I like everything I'm doing while I'm doing it for the most part. But once in a while, you get hit with something that you're like, you really want to write, like you sort of have a drive to write it. And this was one of those stories. And so when I wrote it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty strong. I was, I was pretty proud of it. I never thought it was going to have the impact that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a total shock to me, but um, but you know I think any time a writer feels like they've got something to say, they're not just telling a uh, a cool story. <clears throat> it helps, uh, you know, it helps drive them, and, and it certainly does with me. You know, I especially now, like having done this for a while, it, I feel like if I don't have that sort of heart behind it, I have a tough time writing this stuff. I mean, you can only write like somebody punching somebody so many times. Like you really gotta be into it and believe in the characters and believe in the motivations and stuff. So 775 is one of those stories and it, you know, just was kind of burning uh, for me to write it. And, and I wrote it really fast, which is also always another sign of, Oh yeah, I'm on the right track. Cause I, I can write quick when I, uh, when I have a fire on my ass and, and I did. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm super proud of it. I'm still proud of it. You know, like I said, having just reread it, even though it's uh, I didn't realize how much stuff was sort of not on the page. It's more like spoken about, mm-hmm. but um but it's a it's a good story. I'm 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 proud to have written it. Why did you go back and read it recently? Uh, I can't. I don't think I could officially say, but oh, okay, it might be you know incorporated into some other media. Cool. Uh, um, all right. So I guess speaking of of like sort of having the passion to to do something, um, I think the thing that's making sort of the most at least critical waves uh, recently um, is I Kill Giants, uh, mm-hmm. book that ended in. The, uh, the series ended in January or February, I think, and then the trade just came out. And it is 
it's turning into one of those books. It's one of those books that, that people are talking about, and it, you know, we we made it our book of the month. And as you read down, you know, the comments of the people who read it, like it's emotionally affecting all of these people. Uh, I mean, cool. have you have you ever been involved with? It? Have you ever done a project that sort of had that that kind of an impact on people across the board? Um, gosh, I mean, you know, the seven seventy five probably is the closest thing mm-hmm. to it. Uh, you know, and it was it was quite a while ago. I mean, once in a while, you know, we'll do something where. It, it does have a lot of heart and, uh, you know, with the mainstream characters and, and you get a lot of good feedback, but the, the giant's response really has been overwhelming and, uh, <clears throat> and it's meant so much to me. I mean, that project, uh, it, it, you know, it came from such a personal place and it took so long for it to get done. Uh, you know, again, like it came out, you know, it's one of the only books I put out that actually did come out monthly, but it was put together. I, I wrote it years ago. I mean, I literally had the script finished and, uh, had been sitting on it and kind of waiting, you know, for the right person. And, uh, it, the fact that that, that patience and, and faith has paid off, uh, really, really means a lot to me. And it's just, and you know, and your guys support has been fantastic and, uh, it's, it's just been great. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, and it's eye opening too, when you sort of, you think something's gonna, it's meaningful to you, you know, like I sit there and, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've reread that script or I'd look at the pages and I'd get all weepy. And I knew the story. And I was like, God, I hope I'm not just an idiot sitting here crying because I'm going to feel really dumb if nobody <laughs> nobody else thinks this is a good story. Uh, and so it's it's been super gratifying to hear, you know, what an impact it's had on people. But that brings up one of the big questions I had. Um, it's a really it's a really personal story, and from reading um, your commentary in the back of the book, um, I know it's it's about you know personal loss and everything. And um, but it's not uh, autobiographical. It's not a memoir. So where did the idea come about to um, you know sort of fuse something really personal with uh, this fictional story and and a, and a fantasy story too? Uh, you know, it came from a few places. I. My daughter, I guess at the time, was about, um, I guess she was about six. And, you know, I, I always tell people I'm like a shallow writer. Like, you know, I, whatever comes in, I sort of immediately throw on the page. And <clears throat> so I had been noodling around, like, projects to do about my daughter. And uh, about, you know, around the same time, my, my dad had, uh, had diabetes for a while, but his, uh, his, his sickness had really started to get to him. So he went through the process a uh, really long like ridiculous process that ultimately re- resulted in him losing a leg. And, uh, and it was so bizarre. You know, it's one of those first times where, I mean, my dad had been in the hospital a few, quite a few times with some, you know, nasty things, but this was so protracted and he was so much older and it just felt like, wow, this is about as close as I really want to get to, you know, to losing a parent. And uh, I was taking him to physical therapy and just started having this idea about, you know, what what would it be like if, if you know, my daughter had to go through this, but, you know, not actually her, but a sort of heightened version of her, maybe a little bit older and, you know, with a smart mouth and, and a kid who sort of saw things from a different perspective because my daughter's very imaginative and uh, really expressive and, and she always has acted much older than she really was. So she sort of laid the foundations for Barbara and, um, and again, you know, like I said before, I wrote 775 fast in, in this one, uh, physical therapy session while I was sitting waiting in the lobby, like I outlined the whole story. I mean, I figured it out really fast and, uh, and then just began the slow process of writing it. And, 
so that was really where it came from. So it is, you know, it comes from a really, really personal place. But uh, like you said, it's not it's not autobiographical per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, during the course of getting the book done and, and finally getting it published, um, my dad actually did finally pass away because of because uh, of diabetes. And it was just as the book was getting ready to come out. You know, it was. Uh, uh, I guess he had, he had passed away pretty early in the year, so then it was a few months later that it was coming out. But I was working on it, obviously, that whole time. So it was really a lot of the, you know, dialogue changes or things that I would sort of do last second on a book were heavily influenced by, by what was going on there. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it really does come from a, like I said, really personal place. Well, one of the things you said is you'd had it for a while before you, you had an artist for it. I mean, what's, I guess sort of two-part was like what did you have in in mind for the kind of art that you wanted and and like you know how close was Ken Nomura's work to what what you had in mind um uh, you know I don't I don't think he'll mind my saying this I mean one of the first people I spoke to about it was Pasquale Ferry mm-hmm. um because Pasquale and I have been friends for so long and I, you know I love 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 his work but <clears throat> he draws kids like nobody's business I mean he's so good with kids and um and sort of magic and I thought, wow, he'd knock it out of the park. And I actually have, like, maybe we'll put it in the hardcover or something. I actually have a, um, like, a cover he did, mm-hmm. sort of a quick sketch, you know, fake, uh, fake mock-up cover that we used as a poster in San Diego one year. But he, you know, he got his exclusive at Marvel close to about the time when I was really ready to get going. And so it just became a perpetual, like, oh, could you work on it? No, I can't. You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so he was sort of my starting ground. And then I had a couple of other people who I met during the course of time and it didn't quite work out with them. Um, because again, I, I was doing, I had, I had the whole thing written already and having had, having not done a book through image, um, yet, I wasn't really sure exactly how, like if people were going to get paid, if they weren't going to get paid or any of that sort of stuff. So it was pretty much whoever was doing it was doing it on spec. And that, that certainly causes its own problems too. So then I met Ken. Um, I was at a uh, I was at a convention in Spain, and we sat next to each other signing. And he had done a, a collection of uh, strips and uh, comics he had done uh, in Spain, and I thought it was beautiful. And he had so many different styles, like this um, this book that he put out there. I'm, I'm I keep telling him he's got to do it out here, but so many different styles, from like fine art style to like crazy manga stuff, and. Uh, you know, I asked him if he'd be interested. So uh, once he <laughs> once he looked me up and realized I wasn't like just some crazy chucklehead, he uh, he was like, "Oh, I love steampunk. Yeah, I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to work with you." So we started talking about what Barbara would look like and what my original idea for her was. And um, he said, "You know, I'd like to to do a, a manga style if that's if that's okay." And it, I had never thought of the book in that way at all. So. It was one of these like leap of faith deals, and I was like, you know, show me, show me what you think it's going to be like. And he started handing in designs, and Barbara got a little bit older than I had originally thought. And I think in the original script, she's nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than one person had said to me, you know, you might want to age her up a little bit. She's just too, too smart mouth. Like nobody's going to ever believe mm-hmm. that this is a nine-year-old. Um, and I said, well, you should meet my daughter. But the uh, he, you know, so he started doing designs, and it was really clicking. And and again, because she was based on my daughter, I originally she was just going to have this like crazy tangle of like big curly hair, and um, 
he said, you know, I really can't, I can't make this work because we're going to do it in black and white. It looks like spaghetti. It, it's not going to be color, you know, so let me try something different. And that was when he, he started with the rabbit ears. And he said, ah, you know, I just figured like, A, it's a, you know, it's a manga thing, but it's, uh, it's something that would set her apart. You, you're doing the hair to show that she's unique and she's a loner and that sort of thing. So we'll just do the same thing with crazy hats mm-hmm. and, and we'll never mention it in the book. It just, it's the way she is. So you don't know if it's how she sees herself or if she's really wearing these things. And that, that was it. I mean, at that point, I was totally hooked. I was like, this guy's got it. He's so in tune with this character and, like, what she's all about. And Ken is an insane designer. Like, he goes through so much work on a book. Uh, I think doing the hardcover version for France almost killed him. I mean, like, he's, he's so meticulous. that you really, Like, his style is so loose and fluid. But that actually comes from like four or five drafts that you don't get to see any of the magic where he just works his butt off. And uh, he's got like the entire school laid out. He's got her whole house laid out. Like he had all these things done so he could pick shots, work very quickly after that part. He's a really, really meticulous guy. So I, I just, once I started seeing, you know, his designs for, for Barbara and for the Giants, like in their final version, I was sold. I knew this guy could knock it out of the park. And, um, never never disappointed me once you know and, and such a pleasure to work with and if i ever needed something tweaked you know we'd talk about it five seconds later it was done yeah he, it was just a dream but it, i mean i guess it wasn't sort of the, the look that you originally had in mind but it worked out in the end absolutely that's absolutely cool. my long way of saying that uh you know sometimes what you first start out with uh it, it's okay to let it go and I, obviously i'm really glad i did um ken ken is really I, he's going to turn out to be a superstar. I mean, he really is. And uh, I'm so glad that I got to work with him, you know, at this point in his career and to sort of learn from him as well as, you know, give him something uh, that I think is pretty strong to draw. And just his storytelling and everything about it, it really it made the project incredible. Cool. I, um, I lost my train of thought. I can cut that out, though, so it's fine. There you go. That'll <laughs> um, sound good. Yeah, I'll just swear randomly. No, um, I, I guess, I, you know, being it, doing a book for Image is sort of a new thing for you, I guess, because you've worked in the mainstream, you know, the DC and Marvel for, for most of your career up to that point. Was it like a big shift, I guess, to be in charge of, of you know, everything, basically? You don't have an editor, or did you? I don't I don't know. But, I mean, you're the oh, one you know, I'd, I'd had a few friends read the script and give me comments, which was really helpful. Actually, Joe's wife, um, Megan, gave me probably the best notes of anybody and uh it was actually because of her there's more sort of visions with the various fairies and creatures and stuff uh than there was in the first time i did a draft but uh yeah i didn't i didn't have an editor per se i learned a lot certainly you know in the process um that i i just assumed like certain things were going to be taken care of and they weren't which was fine it was just my assumptions it wasn't because anything the guys at image weren't weren't doing um but it was great. It was it was fantastic. And I mean, I like I like working with an editor. You know, I, I really I'm not one of these writers who feels like uh, my vision is the end all be all and mm-hmm. my word is law. It, it's just not how I work. I, I love bouncing ideas off of people. I'd much rather talk than write anyway. So, you know, <laughs> and when I get to, you know, just BS about a story, uh, I'm really happy. Um, and and luckily, I was able to get that a lot of that with Ken. Um you know, because of the, the way we chose to put the book out by doing the individual issues instead of just going right to a graphic novel, um, I had to reconfigure the whole book into a 24-page 
chapters. Um, Did you write it as one big piece straight across? Yeah, originally it was just one graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and rightfully I was convinced to chop it up because those those individual individual issues essentially give you seven months of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like just having this one book that you know five hundred people might have tried. Uh, it's slowly built over time, so when the trade finally comes out, you know, I think we're going to sell out of that first printing kind of any day now, and uh, we'll, you know, that word of mouth has finally grown. It's been growing for almost a whole year. So, uh, yeah, so we had to redo it, and talking to Ken about what worked, what didn't work, that that was where the, you know, the collaboration came in. And well, it must, I mean, was it? It was. I mean, it must have been a pretty successful book. It's hard to tell with with indie books and stuff like that. But I mean, you, you're going. You, the trade is impossible to find, apparently, and there's a hardcover coming out, so I, I guess it went well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I find it hard to judge also. Um, I don't know. I mean, my expectations for, for the image books, uh, you know, you get a good, strong dose of, of reality, not not that uh, you never know what, like, weight your name carries or any of that kind of stuff, but really none of that has to do with anything. It has to do with just sort of the market in and of itself, like, you know, retailers just sort of unwilling to take chances on small sure. books and that kind of thing. So that was a, a steep learning curve for me. But all that now, having gotten past it, uh, yeah, I, I think I think Giants is going to turn out to be a pretty pretty big success. And certainly, you know, by my standards, it was exactly what I was hoping for. Because again, you know, uh, Loeb used to always yell at me because whenever we were talking about Superman, he'd be like, "Oh, have you seen the numbers?" And the, and I would say, you know, I really, honestly, don't want to know what the numbers are. And, you know, he would, he would freak out. I'm like, I can't think that way, because if I start thinking that way, I'm not going to make the same choices. And, I, you know, I, do I want to hit home runs? Yes. I would love I Kill Giants to sell a million copies. Like, nothing would make me happier. Um, but when I saw the first numbers, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a low-selling book, I was okay with that. You know, it was just like, I because I wrote the story I wanted to write, and I do believe, and I feel like my my career has sort of borne it out that you find, you do find your audience. Like no matter what kind of book you're writing, you will find your audience. That audience might not always be huge, but like you're saying with about the Deadpool fans, they will be rabid. Mm-hmm. And that's who I want. I will take, I'll take a hundred rabid fans over 10,000 Fairweather fans any day of the week, any day of the week. So, you know, hopefully giants will be one of those that'll have that rabid base and then start to expand out. Um, speaking of rabid fans, um, you're also doing a, a run on Un- Amazing Spider-Man right now, yeah. um, which is literally, it's like the polar opposite. Yeah. Um, and, and, and am I correct? Like you've never written a significant amount of Spider-Man in the past. So this is sort of your first. Yeah, this, yeah, this is definitely it. Uh, the only thing I had ever done was a, uh, web, web slingers, um, like a three port, three part story about Pete going to the prom and, uh, and fighting the Sandman. It was very, very moving. But uh yeah, this is it. Uh the big the big Spidey show. And um it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um is the I mean, um it feels like you have a it, like a real knack for the character. I mean, did it do you feel like it came pretty easily? Um <laughs> at, at, after a lot of like gut wrenching and worrying mm-hmm. that I would not be good for the character, then yeah, it's worked out pretty good. But I you know, I I love Spider-Man so much. Like, I really am sort of a, a a goofball fanboy when it comes to Spidey, and not in the not in the land of I've been reading it since I was a kid and that sort of thing. But my m- the majority of my childhood reading was Spider-Man, and I loved him so much, and you know loved all those cartoons, those horrible cartoons, 
you know, everything about Spidey, like he was my superhero. So when the opportunity came to, to work on him, I was really, really intimidated. Um, and I'm still kind of intimidated um, just because I don't want to mess him up, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, but it's been really fun and, you know, I, now, I can bust out a joke here or there. So. <laughs> a lot of them. Um, now, in the storyline that you're working on, basically there's is a lot of crossover with the Dark Avengers and stuff like that, which, I, which kind of struck me since um, it, it felt like Spider-Man was sort of existing on his – sort of his own, you know, outside of everything else that was happening. on. But I, I guess I'm wondering – with the way that Spider-Man is coming out now, there's, it's it's sort of weekly, and mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of teams coming on it. Like, how do you, how do you go about pitching your story? Like, or how much of it is, I guess, preordained by editorial or? Well, you know, it's it's been great. The um, I mean, the guys, you know, the rest of the guys on the team who were there before me, they did all the heavy lifting of the brand new day stuff. You know, that was that was a major, major challenge and obviously I mean we all know the you know, the reactions, both good and bad and uh it was so controversial and they did it and, you know, kinda went through a whole year with the stories and then basically I came in. Mm-hmm. So they had done all this heavy lifting and the first like the hammerhead story when I came in, I just had an idea, I was just, you know, like putting my toe in the water. I was like, I just want to do Hammerhead because he was scary when I was a kid, so I'd like to make a scary hammerhead. And then we've had two Spider-Man conferences um, kind of since then. And they're really open. The editorial the team is great, um, really open to ideas. And they were, they were definitely working in a bubble for a while. And, you know, since I've been around, the, that bubble has popped. I mean, you could only sort of, you know, keep Spidey to yourself for so long. Um, but that's cool because it, it gives you more opportunities to sort of play with those other, you know. Now you can play with their characters too. I was, it was I was surprised because it was like, oh, it's all the Dark Avengers and everything going on too. I think I just didn't really expect that whole thing. So I well, mean, yeah. I mean, once you know, once Norman's in the mix, and and since he's so plugged into that world, it was it was kind of a, you know, I had to had to play with those guys. But it was cool because you know I I love Bullseye as a character, so he's a lot of fun, and uh, you know the dark Wolverine there is, is a lot of fun too. So, I mean, these, these are characters that I wanted to mess around with. And once I, once we knew it was going to be kind of a mega brawl, uh, I was happy to get my, my fingers on those guys. Uh, cool. Um, four eyes, another one that, uh, you said it's, it's coming out sort of sporadically, which by the way, I'm fine with, cause it's a beautiful book. Um, <laughs> that's not the point. Uh, I guess where did where did this one come from? Because you know, I kill giants. You know, you explain the story about that, and 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 it's funny, but because between I kill giants and you know on the Spider Man stuff and Four Eyes, I could I wouldn't be able to tell you that the same guy wrote these, <laughs> um, well, which I guess good. is a compliment. It, it's it's a compliment to me. It's also you know it's something that uh, I, it's like a yoke that you know sometimes people have to bear too. It's like, I, and I'm comfortable with that. I mean, people sort of asked me, like, how come you don't just do all one kind of thing? I just can't. Like, my, I'm not hardwired that way, and if I can jump from genres to character types and stuff, and, and people still like them, then I'm really happy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been reading all these old uh, Osama Tetsuka books, and that, that's what this guy did. I mean, he just jumped from everything. Like, so many people know him for Astro Boy, but he did some of the darkest, scariest crap that you could ever read. Uh, and he did this really inspirational, you know, Buddha, you know, like I love all his stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a real model and inspiration for me, you know, just for, sort of as a map of a career. But, um, but Four Eyes, Four Eyes really was literally one of those ideas that I just kind of had a, like a, an image popped in my head of this, 
barefoot kid with a dragon by the Brooklyn Bridge. And um, that's, that's on the all cover. I knew. It, I really didn't know what else was there, you know, and I was like, well, I guess since he's, since he's barefoot, I, I, he's poor, so maybe he's in the Depression. <laughs> and that was kind of it. And um, and it was sort of swiftly followed with the idea of Tommy guns and stuff. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it in, in the 30s. And that was really all I knew. And sort of letting it sit and kind of ruminating on it, um, it became a story about revenge and the idea that there was this underground dragon fighting ring and in the depression and it was a way that people sort of, you know, blew off steam and got their anger and frustration out, but it was illegal because the dragons were actually endangered species. And it, it just sort of came from there. It's definitely, it's one of those weird, it's a weird concept that like kind of works, um, on a gut level, like on a really weird, like instinct mm-hmm. level. And so I'm sort of discovering the story as I go along, which, um, it's kind of how I used to write, you know, comics, one thing that comics are great for is that because they have to come out so quickly, you do you stay very focused on structure, and you tend to write like in a straight line. Like I need to know where I'm going for the next couple of months, so let me make sure I hit all my points, and I've got my Act One, Act Two, Act Three. But I used to write uh, like when I was going to school, where I would just have like an idea, like I would see an image, and I'd go, I don't know what that is, but let me write it down. And then I'd have another one, another one. Next thing you know, you'd have like 10 scenes and they, they started to tell a story. And that, that's what Four Eyes was. And for me, that's an exciting way to write. Um, and that was it. And then, thank God I found Max Fumar because he is unbelievable, unbelievable talent. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. He's really that good. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And, you know, I keep cannibalizing for myself with Max because he's so awesome and I want to work with him all the time. Like, he's got a couple of pages in... Um, the uh, amazing uh, 600 because they're like, Oh, we need somebody to do a five page story. I'm like, Oh, get max, get max. And, uh, and that outlaw territory collection that's coming out this month. We did an eight page story in that too, because he's just so, uh, brutally talented. It's, uh, <laughs> I can't stand it. Um, and again, here is a guy who, you know, I told him, here's this crazy idea. You can do whatever style you want because, you know, he had, for DC, been doing sort of more photorealistic stuff, and I said, you know, you can loosen it up a little bit because he had sent like a Christmas card out that uh, was really like fun and bouncy and, and not at all, um, you know, grounded in, in sort of photoreal stuff. And I was like, you know, play play like that. Like you can go a little more expressionistic. And as soon as he drew Enrico the first time, I was like, that's a home run. This this is the guy because I knew he could do horror. I had seen some of his horror stuff. So I knew he'd have no problems with monsters and dragons and guts and that kind of thing. But it was this idea of could you do like a sort of cartoony kid but in a real Brooklyn. And he, you know, nailed it and nails it every panel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you said I think you said he was Brazilian? Or, or He's a, no, Argentinian. Argentinian. Yeah. I'm, I am South American challenged. Um, now, I mean, but, but the city feels, so, I mean, are, are you sending him tons of photo reference or, or something like that? Because, I mean, like the New York City in the, in the 30s, like it feels so authentic and sort of dirty. and it's Yeah, he's, he's done a ton of research. I know he's bought a few books mm-hmm. and, um, you know, obviously the Internet gives us access to so much stuff. Um, he came up here uh, last year, I think, and, um, you know, was, I know he took a lot of pictures, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's, he's very dedicated to you know, to doing the research and staying on top of it. And anytime I, f- I find something, I send it. But he really, he's got that uncanny ability to just reproduce anything he sees 
you know, immediately. I mean, I, I just had him do something in a subway, and it, it looks like a photo. I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy. And this is ostensibly a, an ongoing, I guess? Yeah, Four Eyes is, was, um, it's definitely got an end point. And it's one of these, these stories that uh, as long as we're having fun and as long as the, um, you know, we always talk about the dragon fights, as long as the, the fights, you know, are not feeling repetitive, you know, we're happy to do it for a long time. But it definitely has an end point. So I think the current goal right now is to try to hit it as a, at a, a 25-issue series. Um, because you really want to see Enrico, you know, claw his way along this path of revenge uh, that he's going to get onto, and and we have a ton of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of even just in these first couple of issues that have come out. There's a lot of characters who are introduced, and they all have a cool backstory, and um, they're all linked. And um, I think 25 feels really good. You know, when when we set out to do Steampunk, Steampunk was going to be 50, and that was sort of my first stab at like, okay, here's a creator-owned like big epic thing and 50 is a lot i mean you're asking you know you're asking a lot from people so uh 25 i think is a pretty reasonable goal and you know for the amount of work that max puts into it we really can't turn around super fast so that'll be plenty of time but he's he's really committed and you know if we have to if we have to do it shorter we'll do it shorter but um it's one of those stories where act two is sort of expandable or contractable you know depending on depending on what you want to do. Um, but we're both, you know, really committed to it, and um, he's working really hard. So I appreciate that, you know, at least people uh, know that it's a good-looking book. He, uh, and, and Nestor, um, who's the caller, he's, he does an amazing job, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just uh, they're a great team. So um, I hope people, you know, will stick it out. The goal, we're doing the, the first, you know, the first arc is the first four issues. So after that comes out, we'll, we'll do a trade of that. And then um, hopefully that'll sort of buy us time to stockpile a few and then release the next arc, you know, monthly. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be done in arcs, and then we'll take a break, and there'll be a trade, and then we'll do another arc, that kind of thing. It's a long-view project, though. It's definitely a long-view project, and um, and it's one that I can tell you we, we both really want to see completed because uh, I, I love these characters, and Max really loves them. And, and Max uh, you know, honest, has honestly told me, like, He's turned down some other stuff to to do four eyes, which I deeply, deeply appreciate. Yeah. Uh, now, now between I guess Enrico and and Barbara, and then you have um, the the Douglas Fredericks book come out. You've got a lot of kids in your work. Right. I mean, um, um, is that I guess is that something that's that's changing for you uh, as a writer, or you know, because you have kids, or? Well, like I said, I'm I'm pretty shallow, so it's right. uh, you know the kids are around. No, you know it's um. Again, these some of these projects have been sitting around a long time. Like Douglas, Douglas, I wrote a very long time ago, and um, and Ben drew it a long time ago. That book has actually been finished for well over a year. Um, I think that book has been finished for maybe almost two years, and um, because of uh, not really knowing what I was doing at the time, like I wasn't sure who who was putting it out yet. Uh, I had a friend of mine who's a, a graphic designer was putting the book together for me and she did an amazing job on the book that took a little bit of time because she was sort of helping me out while keeping her business afloat mm-hmm. um, and then because of some some internal stuff about how we were going to sell the book uh, it went through format changes that took a long time <laughs> so that's why this book is also coming out at the same time but yeah I wrote it I wanted to do a kids book I was reading way too many children's book uh, books that were driving me nuts 
because though they were lovely, they were kind of insipid. Uh, and I just think that you can, you know, be a little subversive in your children's literature. Uh, and that's what I was going for with Douglas. I mean, Douglas is really about a kid questioning authority and, um, and, and being sort of, you know, getting the smackdown for it. Like, you're not supposed to ask, you know, this is what they say and you've got to do what they say. And he's a kid who asks why. And that's the sort of lesson that I would like to pass along to, to my kids. So that was why I wrote it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, as far as like a paradigm shift, like definitely not. I mean, Bang Tango is. Well, yeah, that brings me to. Uh, I guess yeah. The, the... yeah let, let's get into the filth. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's deal with more filth. There's, there's as much. There's as much like angelic uh, love and nasty filth <laughs> currently coming out uh, from me on the shelves uh, that I hope they balance each other out. Um, is that something you you find necessary as a writer to have two completely different, you know? tones going on as you're writing like to, to have something more uh you know gritty and adult where, where you're doing the, the kids stuff on the other side yeah um i don't know if it's a, a con it, it's not that conscious it's it's more like what stuff kind of bubbles up and you know sort mm -hmm. of asks you know to get written first i mean i you know i, I always hate to sound like sort of hoity-toity about it but that, that is how it goes with this stuff because it, it takes a lot of time and especially when you're working on something, you know, for free that you're hoping to sell later, you know, or, or you're just going to self-publish that you really have to love this stuff. And so sometimes really fun ideas just get pushed aside and, you know, it's, it's the one that kind of is crying out the loudest. And sometimes that'll be like, Oh, you just did something light and fluffy. You need to get dirty now. <laughs> you know? But I'm not, I'm never that conscious about it. It's not like, uh, if anything, it's counterproductive to my, long-term career that I keep putting out schizophrenic books, you know, it's like the Bang Tango audience probably isn't going to pick up Douglas Frederick's <laughs> or vice versa. Well, you're you sort know? of a one-stop shop for the family. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, you're, if you're schizophrenic, I'm definitely <laughs> your one-stop shop. Like if there's a deviant very, father yeah. and a lovely child, then you've got them covered. I... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> when, you, when you're sitting down to, to script during the day, is it, could you write Bad Dog on the same day as you're writing, you know, something like I Kill Giants or, or Four Eyes, like, or is it? It has to be a different day. Uh, just because of uh, the necessity of deadlines and stuff, a lot of times I, I do multiple projects in a day. But it's helpful if I can stack them that they're sort of in the same <laughs> corner of the spectrum. Uh, but I've done it. I've, I've definitely done it where I've like proofed out Douglas and then worked on Tango or something. It's it's strange. <laughs> so where where does Bad Dog come from? Um, Bad Dog, you know, when, when Man of Action decided, like, hey, we're going to do our, our books and we're going to do them through Image, and I was, I was getting gung-ho about it, uh, you know, so a lot of the books were, sort of like, beginning, middle, end books, and, you know, I knew that they were a complete story, and I didn't really have any, like, open-ended, ongoing ideas, so I was like, well, it would be fun, and I just said, you know, I want to I do, like, the most self-indulgent book, like, I want to just do a book that's only about stuff I like. And I love werewolves. I've always loved werewolves. Uh, I love drinking. And uh, I like, you know, violence and, and foul-mouthed characters. <laughs> so that was kind of it. I was like, all right, let's put them all together and, and see what it is. And I, I was really heavily inspired by Preacher. I mean, my sort of, you know, like, I, I think we all go through stages as a fan where you read, like, superhero books for a while, and then maybe you go find something else for a while. And my most recent, you know, like I was saying, I was reading the Vertigo books um, 
kind of as I was going to school, Preacher was, you know, the first book that like caught my eye and I was like, what the hell is that? Cause I hadn't been in the comic store for a while and obviously it was hooked and loved it and, you know, was living and, and breathing that book. So it was definitely like, oh, I want to do my preacher. Like, that's what I want to do. So Bad Dog was sort of, you know, and I, not to say it's as good as Preacher, but I mean, that, that's kind of where it came from. Um, and I, you know, the thematically, all the stuff that's in that book, too, is, you know, the stuff that I worry about kind of on a daily basis. Like, Lou as a character is wondering whether or not he's wasting his life, you know, and it's the kind of question that I, uh, I'm always faced with, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I looking at the right project? Am I, you know, like you asked before, like, should I have been a screenwriter instead of a comic book writer? You know, these are that kind of questioning and the existential questions that, that come up. That's that's what Bad Dog's really about beneath the foul mouth and nasty sex. And Don't tell anyone that. You can't you can't sell yeah. on the existential <laughs> angst. Yeah, exactly. It's We like to sneak it in there. Uh, this <laughs> we, this you know, is already yeah. getting too heavy. It's... Yeah, well, you know, and, and there's a guy who drinks a lot of bourbon. And, there you, you know, go. Got a midget friend who uh, passes out and girls pickpocket him. And well, what's funny is that, like, th- that book is, it, it's, much, it's much more interesting than I think I expected it to be, probably for that same reason. Like, you've got, right. you've got the one character who's filthy and disgusting, but, you know, Lou is, Lou is actually sort of sweet, you know, in, yeah. a, in a way. And it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. Like, there's a heart there that I don't think that I... I initially expected because obviously like when you read the pitch, it's like, it's, he's a bad werewolf. Right. You know? So I, I guess that that worked out <laughs> fairly I well. I think it's, it's, yeah. It, yeah. it's probably the sweetest book I've read that features a talking head in a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big juxtaposition there, but now that is a quote that I want on the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Run yeah, with I it. mean, again, it's, it's really like, uh, the stuff that's in it, you know, I love, uh, I just love broken, characters like i like i like characters who are so off track and and i like it even more if they know it like they know that they're totally totally messed up and that's that's all this book is i mean pretty much everyone in it uh you know they're they're running from something or their life has collapsed and they've just tried to make something new of themselves but it doesn't work you know that's this is a book about like lots of broken people trying to make sense of things and in a lot of ways it's it's like going back to Deadpool for me, mm-hmm. you know, I think you'll see this sort of, there's some similarities in the cast, um, just sort of in the construction of it, which I, I think I haven't even really thought about until now, but, um, you know, guys who want to do the right thing, but can't, um, people who just don't care and really just want to get drunk and be debaucherous, you know, it's like those, those guys are all in that Deadpool stuff too. And so, uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of heart, but there's a lot of foulness, which I think works out pretty well. I think that describes all of us. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, so with with all these all these diverse different stories, then is that maybe like one of those unifying themes that you, you were talking about? Like that that's something that interests you, and that's what connects all these stories. It's more a, a thematic connection than you know the the elements involved. That's uh, that's a great question. I mean, I definitely uh, I always try to go for. The, the emotional story and, and it's just the way it's the way I'm hardwired like I can't you know like just to jump back to Spider-Man for a second when that story came up in the room that I was not gung-ho to do the American Sun story I mean it was really just put up there as like alright you want Spidey and Norman to go head to head you know who's going to do it and that was the farthest thing from my mind I was thinking about some other story and, um, and I, I sort of got it by default 
And I was like, oh, guys, you know, I'm not really sure, like, you know, what to do. And it wasn't until somebody said, it's the last temptation of, of Harry Osborne that I got it. Like, then I was like, oh, this is about, you know, Pete and his friendship and his inability to trust Harry to make his own good decision. That's really what it is, because if, if, if Pete had just said, like, well, Harry, good luck with that, <laughs> like, the story would be a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. He just can't do it. He, he, doesn't trust him, he doesn't trust his friend to make his own good decision. That I could get, like, that kind of heart. I, I understood. And then the rest of it is fun. Like, then I can do guys in armor punching each other and stuff. Um, and so all these books have that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Four Eyes is, you know, it's a revenge story. And, and what happens when a kid is sort of dragged through this, this really, really dark world for a dark reason? Uh, is he going to become a monster? And, and obviously it's, it's embodied in these dragons and, you know, this sort of the life of crime that, you know, he's, he's been pulled into. And, Bad dog is definitely like broken people trying to make good, and can they? You know, will the world let them be good? Yeah, I mean, that's it. Definitely pulls them all together. Tango too is is definitely a very very broken people. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, so that those emotional uh, strings are the ones that, that really pull me. And I, I think you'll see even in stuff that's coming down the pike, like Ken and I are going to be doing this drama uh, next that doesn't really have you know, like Giants has gotten sort of magical realism elements to it this this one's a pretty straight drama with some you know some over-the-top characters and uh but again it's it's this heightened reality of these broken people trying to trying to make good on their lives you know um yeah that that's the stuff that i really respond to cool i think we covered all of your books i don't know how that happened but uh <laughs> Um, I, I, what, what kind of a writer are you like on a day-to-day basis? Are you, do you, do you, I mean, are you scripting like a lot of the time or, um, I mean, how, how busy are you with stuff? Cause a lot of this stuff you said had been written before, but are you always working on, on new concepts and stuff? Or are you still working in animation? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I bang all over the place. I, uh, I'm not as rigidly disciplined as I need to be. So what ends up happening is I, I sort of brand a lot. I, uh, I sort of get loose ideas and kind of let them germinate for a while. And then somebody calls and needs something and then I freak out and then I write stuff. The the act of putting things on the page is, is definitely like the most painful for me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here basically all day, you know, in the, in the chair uh, with the occasional schedule thrown off because of kids and family stuff. But, um, uh, you know, the bulk, the real writing for me comes at really unexpected times. Like, um, like this the other day, I was I was working on uh, Four Eyes Four, and it was on a train ride to Manhattan. That, and I figured out, you know, whatever two thirds of the book on the on this particular ride. Like, it had been in there, and I had been kind of like trying to consciously peck at it, but I couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden, there the whole thing was. So oh, that's a beautiful I, thing. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it sucks when it doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's what I look for, you know, and then and then it's just once I've got an outline, then I can sort of write it relatively quickly. Then it's just a matter of, uh, you know, and editors who, who I've worked with, you know, Steve right now knows when I say, like, all right, I'm in it. I finally figured it out. That usually means it's going to come pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of banging my head against the wall, i got to tell you. I'm not – I don't know how guys like Bendis do it. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can put out that many books uh, a month. That's That's an incredible – uh, sense of discipline that I I still don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough because sometimes there's that like you know you have to do it, but the, like the actual 
putting it on the page is can be just torturous. Oh, it's the worst. I use the excuse that I don't like to write during the day. Nice. And then I don't have time at night. So yeah. whatever it takes to not <laughs> do something mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing. But I guess you know you kind of started out again. You you know you started off with with Marvel and where you had deadlines right away, so you didn't have to go through that. I have to write for myself thing before anybody notices it. So. No, definitely. And as a matter of fact, I used I used to write four books a month. I I really don't know how I did it. I think I was terrified I was never going to work again. So I was like cranking them out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know now I do so much stuff, and then. You know, Man of Action between, we have a new show on Cartoon Network, we have uh, other consulting work that we do, like we're constantly doing other stuff, so that you, you, I'm starting to learn now how to write quicker and shorter bursts of time, because inevitably you're going to get pulled to something else, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey's actually great at that. Casey had always said he could write like one page a day of five different projects, and then at the end of the month he'd have five scripts, and he was he could do it. I remember talking to him one day, and I said... I was like, so how much do you work in a given day? And he's like, maybe I write maybe two hours. And I was like, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you horrible jerk. How did, how, like, how did the four of you guys come together? Was it just that you were all working, I guess, on Xbooks at the time? or? Yeah, that was pretty much it. I, um, <clears throat> I met Duncan on uh, the Juggernaut one-shot, and we hit it off just as, as buddies. And then <clears throat> Steve and I you know, met doing, um, doing the X-Men. and Holding those Revolution. Guys all kind of um, and holding a revolution, <laughs> and uh, and those guys all kind of knew each other, uh, you know, from the scene out there in L.A. And um, we just, you know, we liked each other. We worked together a lot in the in the X office, and then migrated to D.C. also, mm-hmm. and did the same work on uh, on Superman, and then had an opportunity to um, to work on a on the X Men video game, and. Um, Joe was like, I don't know how to do this myself. Why don't we all work on it? And that was kind of it. That was how we started the company. And, um, you know, we were already doing it, working together anyway. We were talking all the time, and we were helping each other out with stories and talking about projects. So that was the beginning of the company. And then um, and then shortly after that, we um, got Ben 10, and that sort of solidified it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you guys, like, announced that you were – a company, I guess, at one point, but it wasn't really clear what that meant. And then, and then like, you know, after a while, though, of course, Ben Ten is um, is what it is. And mm-hmm. and even in the past, I guess, the six months, you know, there was you all had books coming out from Image at the same time, um, which is kind of cool. Like it, like it actually was like, well, this thing didn't go away. It just took a little while to build into something right. like it, that we all knew what it was. I guess. No, that's I mean that's a great point. If we weren't uh, such a, a bunch of knuckleheads, we probably would have figured it out a little sooner. But uh, it is. It's you know it it when we would tell people like yeah, it's a creative think tank and we do comics and animation. Like people are like yeah, you're full of shit. But that's really what we've done, and and we've somehow managed to make a living at it. You know, for quite a number of years now. And what's great is to sort of have stuff that's a little bit more tangible, so that people on the outside can go, oh, I get it. This is what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, So it's great. And, you know, they're a great bunch of guys, and everybody's smart. And um, uh, it's we push each other to do better, mm-hmm. you know, and you see something you like in somebody else's book, and you're like, damn it, now i got to write mine better, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it's working out pretty good. Cool. I think that uh, that's probably all that I've got uh, now. Anything, uh, anything else I think we need to cover? All right. No, I think we're cool. I, I appreciate. You know, it's funny. I'd forgotten that you wanted to actually talk this long. I thought all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, I'm blabbing on about everything. No, it's, I, uh, 
I thought we were just talking about like giants, but this is great. No, no, we we do the whole thing. We talk about the writing, we talk about the craft, we do it all. That's full package. Yeah, excellent. It's the multifaceted approach. We're not unlike a podcasting man of action ourselves, because indeed we kicked around for years <laughs> without knowing what we were doing. But anyway, I was say, yeah, you really don't want to follow our our example. <laughs> oh man, no, that you know what though, I'm I'm so glad. It's like it's funny. I we've hit that point in our careers, I guess, where it's like. I definitely don't think of myself as an old timer by any stretch, but we've we're in the journeyman stage, and you get to sort of look and see who's still standing and stuff, and it's very cool. You guys it's, are around; it makes me very happy. You know, like good guys are rising to the top. So it's cool. interesting because I mean, you you came up a little bit before I started reading again, but you were still like you know you and Joe and and even like Vaughn and Bendis were all guys who were young right when I started reading comics. Mm-hmm. And now you're right. You're like the the veterans and the journeymen, and and it feels like so much has changed since then. Yeah. But, but all the people who were like the new guys when I started are now, you know, the guys, the establishment, which is right. very <laughs> odd to get used to. It is a little bit strange, and it, that's why it's good if we shake ourselves up from time to time, so we don't settle in too much of that establishment role. But it's a uh, you know, there's a lot of people who come and go, and it's cool to see. You know who who sticks around, and uh, you know the work. The work usually stands for itself. All right. Well, thanks so much, Joe. I appreciate it. This has really been great. I appreciate it. Want to thank Joe Kelly one more time for spending so much time with us and going all over that stuff. It was a ton of fun. Make sure you check out ifanboy.com to comment on this podcast and read all the other great stuff there, including original columns by Paul Montgomery every single Tuesday and all sorts of other great writers that show up on ifanboy.com. And if you want to send us an email, that's contact at ifanboy.com. Thanks very much, and we'll be back very soon.